you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. bullet now has to account for the remaining seven wounds in Kennedy and Conley. But rather than admit to a conspiracy or investigate further, the Warren Commission chose to endorse the theory put forth by an ambitious junior counselor, Arlen Specter, one of the grossest lies ever forced on the American people. We've come to know it as the magic bullet theory. The magic bullet enters the president's back, headed downward at an angle of 17 degrees. It then moves upwards in order to leave Kennedy's body from the front of his neck, wound number two, where it waits 1.6 seconds, presumably in midair, where it turns right, then left, right, then left. This is a very dangerous and uncertain world. No one expects uh, that uh, our life will be easy. Certainly not in this decade, and perhaps not in this century. The ROKC, Reopen the Kennedy Case, proudly presents the first ever Australian JFK Conference in Melbourne, Australia, this November. Join us on a quest for justice and truth with inspirational speakers and some of the world's leading authorities on the Kennedy assassination. Featured guest speakers include Citizens for Truth about the Kennedy assassination speaker and acclaimed author James DiEugenio, Gail Nix Jackson, author and granddaughter of Orville Nix, and Australia's very own Peter Morris. For more info, buy your tickets at stickytickets.com slash reopen Kennedy case conference because justice is never too late. What's up, everybody? This is episode number 79 of the Lone Gunman Podcast. <clears throat> this week, I know I'm going to hear a bunch of grief about my guest, but I will tell you this. I will give you a fair shake on this show. You know, because when it comes to, J- to JFK researchers, lone nutters, conspiracy theorists, and the like... You know, if I see that somebody has put a lot of their time and their effort 
into doing something that they believe in, then I'm going to give them a chance to come on the show and talk about it. Now, whether we agree or not, doesn't matter. Uh, this show will get a little testy at times, but you know, all in all, it's all about have, being able to have a civil discussion about things, whether we agree on things or disagree. I've got no reason to uh, to lambaste and, and uh, berate James Lambert, my guest tonight. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of vitriol out there in the in the in the uh, groups and stuff uh, about him and his in his movie. Um, you know, but he was nothing but nice to me. You know, we may not see eye to eye on things, but it is what it is. I'm going to have whoever I want on my show. And for those of you not happy that I didn't go after this guy more, you know, that's not how I roll. Um, you know, like I said, everybody gets a fair shake here to state their case. You know, I did challenges on some things. Uh, you know, he had some tough answers on some things and, As you'll see, um, it was a very interesting show altogether. So without further ado, I bring to you Mr. James K. Lambert. Tonight on the show, I have Mr. James K. Lambert, who is a professor of film and a filmmaker. Uh, He made the film Conspiracy Theorists Lie, and he's the proprietor of NoMagicBullets.com. Org. James, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Hey, no problem at all. Now, I know I know uh, the name of your film is going to rub people the wrong way a little, a little bit. I'm sure you uh, I'm sure you realize that, right? Yeah, it's I mean, it's a provocative title. Yeah, I like it cuz I, I I like putting up provocative titles uh for my shows as well. So, you know, you want to get people to listen and you want to get people to see, right? Right. Exactly. And I had the opportunity and thank you, uh, for, for allowing me to see the film. I wanted to see it before I talked to you. Um, so I knew uh, exactly where you're coming from. Um, but for those people out there who, who might not know who you are, um, maybe just give a little overview of, uh, you know, what, what, sparked your interest in the case and, and what motivated you to to make this film okay well as far as sparked my interest in the case that goes back a, a long ways i was uh, i was a kid in the 70s and so i grew up you know before we had even vcrs you had to just watch what was on late night television repeats and i think i first saw uh, the old film executive action Oh yeah, which is probably my first exposure to the whole conspiracy idea. Right. And then somewhere when I was still pretty young, um, early '80s, there I saw the film Winter Kills, which is you know where executive action is. You can kind of follow it, but the Winter Kills, if you've ever, if you've ever seen it, it's you know it's way out there. No, I haven't seen that. But one. It, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen Winter Kills. Oh yeah, it's um. So it's not Kennedy, but you know that it's the younger brother investigating the murder of his older brother who was president. So it's like a Ted Kennedy looking, you know, for what happened to his brother. And he goes through all these, you know, labyrinth of conspirator traps and tricks. And he finally finds out that his own father had his son killed because he couldn't control him. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's a really crazy 
I'm gonna have to check but that out. I think um, I think executive action is when I you know first got interested, and I remember being a kid and telling one of my friends about this, and, and he's like, "What? There was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy?" Because like nobody you know was talking about it really around us at the time. And then years later, you know this started to get attention again and then when the Oliver Stone film came out that same friend was like oh yeah I'm sure there was a conspiracy and you know we were all watching Oliver Stone at the time and um, we were all into it but I had been you know looking at this stuff a lot longer than most of them had and somewhere after seeing Stone's film I started to question more and more of what I thought I knew and then in the late 90s, like 96, I think is the first time I went to Dealey Plaza, and I stood up on the spot where Zapruder had filmed and looked at everything, and I thought, wow, this is so much smaller than I imagined it. Right. And I'm no expert shot, but I did did fire a rifle in the Army when I went through basic training, and it just did not seem like a difficult shot to me. Plus, when I looked over my shoulder, standing where Zapruder was, I, I thought, you know, Anybody standing behind that fence, there's no way they could hide. It's just, it's so open and so obvious that it just, it didn't add up to me. And then I started really looking at all the kind of debunking things. Right now, and if people can't tell yet, (laughs) um, a lot, a lot of your film is, is, uh, well, I mean, even the title, I mean, can tell where people can tell people where you're coming from. Um, and you mentioned, and you mentioned the Garrison film, JFK. Um, you know, one thing that did strike me, and I agree with you, that, that, that the, uh, the diagram that they used in the movie and, and the whole, you know, and then it took a right and then it took a left and that, you know, I agree that that's a little, a little far-fetched. You know, and, but, and, you know, my, my point in that is not just that it's far-fetched. The, the thing is that it's presented as this is what the Warren Commission said, therefore the Warren Commission must be wrong. And it, it has been repeated and repeated for decades. And I, I don't find a lot of people who are brave enough to stand up and say, wait a minute, this is not what the Warren Commission said. So we can't refute them by changing their position. Right. Now, I think what you're referring to and uh is is more of people with a <clears throat> excuse me a, a casual interest in the in the case you know these buffs these you know they get interested but they're not really researchers you know what i mean like um they hear something in the movie and and you know that's that's what they latch onto that you know and that's what they tell their friends and then i agree you know the, these these lies or or distortions you know they get perpetuated and and even up until now, I mean, you know, you you were there on the fiftieth and talking to people who really didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Right, but they're informed by the so-called experts. I mean, those those graphics come right out of Robert Groden's book High Treason, and they're listed in that book as if they are accurate representations of the Warren Commission. And he was one of you know the alleged experts hired by Oliver Stone for his film. Right. And so, you know, these are things that have been upheld by seemingly important researchers for a long time. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a huge, huge fan of Groden. Um, 
I, I have seen some problems, especially with his last book. Um, you know, but of course he's done some good work and, uh, before, but you know, I understand what you're saying, but it, it also kind of falls back on the individual to, to, to not just take things that one person says and run with it. You know, it, it you know, they need to actually work a little harder if, if they're really that interested in the case to not just see what Robert Groden tells him in Dealey Plaza, but to look beyond that and, uh, you know, dive into the 26 volumes or, you know, read more, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like it kind of falls on them as their responsibility to look a little harder. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I also know that if I, if I go to Google and type in, you know, magic bullet diagram or anything, anywhere near that, I'm going to find these same images repeated over and over again and cited as if they're factual, oftentimes cited as if they're right out of the Warren report. And when I raise that with people, um, you know, I, I rarely get somebody who is, is being as honest as you are that they aren't factual or that they aren't from the Warren Commission. They, they try every way to, to ignore that or get around that or say that it's an honest mistake, or just any number of things. And that, to me, is a big indication, because I've interviewed a lot of people in Dealey Plaza, not just conspiracy people, but just visitors there when I was going to graduate school in Texas. Um, that idea that there was this magic bullet has permeated the culture. And, you know, I mean, even in the most recent X-Men film, they have this thing about Magneto making the bullet turn. Right. And it's an you know, obvious <laughs> reference to the magic bullet. It's, it's become just such a fact that the Warren Commission is obviously wrong because they define the magic bullet. And so it's pretty hard for somebody, unless they really look, to realize, wait a minute, this thing that I see everywhere I look, that, that, that Google will bring me up just thousands of examples of, is not real. Right, right. And, and I, I think the, I guess the original genesis of the calling it a magic bullet is, is not because it was zigzagging left and here and, and, and going down and up and, and doing this stuff, but that, that it was just the idea that this one bullet could create all these wounds in two men and come out looking like it did. You, you know what I'm saying? kind of instinctual impression of it and I know that you know Mark Lane is the one who gave it that name in his book Rush to Judgment which is going all the way back to like 65 um, so that name has been around for a long time but I think that a lot of times people's kind of you know gut reaction to something that oh that doesn't seem right is you know based on the fact that most of us just don't have the, the knowledge to answer a lot of these questions and our impression of like how bullets work and how guns work is mainly formed by Hollywood movies, not by you know real forensic kind of knowledge. Right. You know, I, I, and I'm I'm probably guilty of that as well. But I mean, you know, something just doesn't sit right with me that the idea that this bullet, and I understand it's a copper jacketed military grade bullet, um, could do all this without hitting bone in either men and come out looking like that. I mean, I know it's supposedly shattered Connolly's rib and, and wrist, you know, it's just, it's just, 
I mean, I can, I've seen what, and I, I've never fired military grade bullets, copper jacketed, um, but other bullets, you know, they, they don't end up looking like that. Um, and what gets me is, is, okay, this one bullet did all this, but the other one that hit his head splinters into a million pieces. Same copper jacketed deal. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and once again, I think that's a natural kind of thing. It's like, whoa, this just doesn't make sense because we, you know, you and I, and anybody doesn't instinctually have the kind of knowledge of ballistics to understand this automatically. It takes some real digging to look into it. But it's just, you know, we could do the same thing. I mean, we could be in a fist fight and we could hit each other 50 times. And you think, well, why on the fifth, you know, why on the 47th time did I break a finger? I didn't break a finger on any of the other hits. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I understand why that, that gets a lot of people, you know, the, the idea of this magic bullet. Um, and I, I don't think it's necessarily that these people know better and they're purposely lying. I mean, it's, I think it's just what they think and what they want to believe. And, uh, you know, it gets people excited to talk about it, you know, to talk about conspiracies in general. And, and, you know, it makes people feel good to maybe think that they've solved the case a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, cause I hear yeah, it, all, I, I hear it all the time with James is, files yeah. and all this nonsense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, when I was younger, I thought, it gave me kind of a superior feeling like that I was in the know about something that other people weren't. Um, but then after I came to question that and then realized that I had been wrong, then I felt like I was very foolish rather than being in the know. And that's very difficult to try to, you know, go from this high of feeling like I'm somebody who knows the secret to realizing, no, I'm somebody who was really wrong. Yeah, and and you mentioned Grodin before, and um, that graphic, and and you have it on your little flyer. It's it's I mean it's way off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's <laughs> yeah. the angle's way off because you know you have to take into consideration the curvature of Elm Street, and uh, you know every you have to take into consideration everything other than just drawing a line and saying, hey, this doesn't look right. But then the bullet had to do this. You know, it had to make a right and a left. Um, and in Groden's new book, he has a, a new photo um, that he supposedly restored from a damaged print uh, from JFK's autopsy from when he was on the HSCA. And uh, I think it's been pretty much proved to be a, a set picture from the movie JFK. Um, <laughs> at least that's what it looks like to me. Um when you're looking at the, the, you know, the things like the tile on the wall behind it, the, the gurney, uh, things of this nature, and and just the way the dummy is is in the movie and the way it looks here, um, he's trying to pass it off as, a, as some kind of a new photo, which you know it's kind of disingenuous to do that, I think. Um, you know, in that whole story that he had with this new woman that was supposedly giving Oswald change at the time of the shots, you know, that's turns out to be a different lady and, and there was a lot of problems with that so it doesn't surprise me you know that that, that people like that they're interested in selling books because believe me robert groden wants to sell books that's why he's in daily plaza all the time okay um you know this is his living this is what he's made his bread and butter off of from all these years so you know it 
I understand that guys like that want to sensationalize things, and it does hurt the truth. I, I you know, I'll admit that. But hopefully, people can can see it for what it is, and and not a lot of people do, and I think that's the problem. Well, one question I had about about the setup um, in the car that I haven't seen a lot of people take into consideration. Um, I, I have seen some photos from, from the motorcade, um, where you can kind of see inside the car a little bit and, and Kennedy, his knees almost come up to the back of Connolly's upper back. Like he, I don't know how to explain it unless you actually see a picture of it, but his knees are really high up. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I know. You know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, which, which kind of gives, you know, a little bit more, I guess, contradiction to a magic bullet. I mean, you know, than simply coming out his, his throat and, and into Connolly's back where it did, um, unless it just happened to miss his knees altogether. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Well, once again, like you said, you have to take Dealey Plaza into consideration. You are driving at a at a sloping angle, and the president's sitting higher than Connolly, so that's you've got even a further angle there. Right, and that's so I, I do think that, that that accounts for a lot of a lot of the mystery in this is just simply the position of the car and the unusual nature of the seats in the car. Right, you know, and, and there's there's things that that conspirators have been saying. You know, all these years, oh, Oswald couldn't have got off three shots in six seconds and, uh, and this, that, and the other. I mean, and that's been disproved. Um, right. You know, maybe he's not sitting there aiming every time, but, you know, first shot, say first shot missed, you correct, and you bang two off, you know, and, uh, and it can be done. Um, now, whether or not with the specific rifle he had, it's hard to say because, you know, the site was misaligned, um, things of this nature. And that's what we can argue about for days. You know, you know what I mean? The specifics. Right. Um, but now getting back to, to what you're saying a little bit, let's talk a little bit about um, conspiracists in general. You know, the, the, the people, like you say, I'll read from your little book here. It says, conspiracists insist that our government is lying to us, but the more you look into each of their claims, the more you find that conspiracists are dependent on lies to make their case. Yes. So, do you, do you believe that there, everything is not a conspiracy, or that that conspiracists kind of look at every event and try to find a conspiracy in it, even if there isn't one? Um, well, I believe that conspiracists, people have that worldview are looking for things that aren't there. But uh, I wrote a piece about this that's on my main site, jameskaylambert.com, and it's it's called History is Not a Conspiracy. Okay. And I try to look at different types of conspiracies, try to categorize them in three different ways. And so there are, you know, real factual conspiracies, like Watergate was a real conspiracy. Right. Um, the plot to murder... President Abraham Lincoln was a real conspiracy. But if we look at those kind of real conspiracies from history, and then we compare 
couple other other stories are. And so say say like the shooting of Abraham Lincoln, a known conspiracy. It's really John Wilkes Booth who shoots the president and gets some friends to go along with it, um, tries to have the vice president and the secretary of state shot at the same time. Right. His friends fail, but it is a conspiracy. Right. They are quickly caught, and Booth dies when he um, in the struggle, and his friends are executed in a trial. That's a pretty typical conspiracy. You try to do something. Once you do it, you can't hide it, and you often pay a big price for it. Right. <laughs> now, you look at the alleged conspiracy of, say, somebody like um, Napoleon. Some people say Napoleon was murdered when he was exiled on this island far away from France with only a few people on the island with him. Now, maybe that's possible that they poisoned his food because they were just sick of him. Right. Maybe he just died of natural causes. We'll never know. And it's such a small-scale thing and so remote that you can't prove it one way or another. And so you have real conspiracies that you can prove, and you have possible conspiracies that fit the pattern of real conspiracies. And then you have the conspiracy theorist's ideas. And what I have a problem with all conspiracy theorist ideas is that they're all dependent on some really powerful, really vast controlling force to make them work. We're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of people acting together over multiple generations in the case of the Kennedy assassination. And you, you can't hold something like that together because people don't even share the same motivations. I mean, to believe that somebody in the government today who wasn't even alive when Kennedy or Johnson was president is still actively keeping the truth from us, it just doesn't make any sense. That's not the way history works. You don't have multi-generational successful conspiracies where people who weren't even a part, a part of the original conspiracy are still carrying it on. And I find that all those conspiracy theories come out of the old idea that the Jews run the world. I mean, that's the oldest conspiracy theory. And that's the legacy of European civilization, right. is this fear of the conspiracy. And now we've substituted the Bilderbergers and the CIA and the Freemasons and all numbers of groups. But the stories sound just like the stories that the Jews run the world. And that's why I think that conspiracy thinking is itself, at its very heart, is a lie. It's a misconception of the way the world works. It's just like the misconception of racism. Believing that because of your skin color, you are automatically smarter or dumber, moral or immoral, you know, whatever people want to apply to some skin color, it's just false from the beginning. There is some group that can control events, you know, across hundreds of people, across all the media, across historians. It doesn't matter to me if they're denying the Holocaust or they're denying the moon landing or they're telling me that 9-11 is an inside job or they're telling me that the government's still covering up the JFK assassination. All these things sound like the same old conspiracy story that's just far beyond anything real in history. 
Right. And it, I think it would be a lot easier for people to, you know, to not think that there was a conspiracy if, if it was any other president, but JFK, I mean, he was, you know, he was beloved, but he was also hated by the military, uh, the CIA, you know, the oil men that, you know, you name it, the Anacastro Cubans. I mean, this guy was hated from a lot of different people because he wanted peace. You know, he was viewed as soft on communism. Uh, you know, he was viewed as a pinko commie, um, by certain people. And, uh, like people like the, you know, the Birchers and the National States Rights Party <coughs> and all these guys. And <coughs> so many people, excuse me, would have been, would have benefited if, if John Kennedy or his brother weren't around anymore. Um, I mean, they were going after the mafia, you know, you name it. I mean, they had enemies out the wazoo. Whereas somebody like Johnson or Nixon, you know, these guys weren't pissing anybody off. They were, they were doing what they were told. They were <coughs> doing their job. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I, I don't know the pissing anybody off. <laughs> I mean, every, every single president certainly has his detractors. And the John Birch Society was every bit as convinced that Dwight D. Eisenhower was a communist agent as they were that Kennedy was a communist agent. True. Um, they, they started their attacks with Eisenhower. So I think that a lot of this kind of myth of Camelot has come up afterwards um, that puts things out of proportion. If you, I mean, if you look at things older than that, certainly... You know, people had a huge problem with FDR after being elected four times in a row. Um, there was people who had, you know, built up hatred for him for more than a decade. And so I don't think it's automatically comparable that somehow Kennedy was uniquely hated. Well, what about, uh, let's talk a little bit about Oswald. Um, one big thing that jumps out at me when you're talking about killing anyone okay is motive and i just don't see a motive for oswald to want to kill kennedy you know i mean he has the opportunity he you know he worked in a building on the parade route okay there's your opportunity um but you need motive means an opportunity okay he owned a gun supposedly um but there's problems with that as well but motive is is a big, big sticking point for me as far as uh, convincing me that he had some kind of a substantial motive for doing this other than just he's just a crazy nut job. But that's, that's the problem is you're, you're looking for a substantial motive, and being a crazy nut job is a substantial motive. It was a substantial motive for the anarchist who shot McKinley. It was a substantial motive for the guy who shot at Reagan. You know, arguably, it's a substantial motive for John Wilkes Booth, who may have cared about the Southern cause, but he didn't care enough to go fight in the Confederate Army. He only shot Lincoln at the end of the war when it was pointless because he was mad that his older brother was a better actor than him and that nobody cared about him. You know, I mean... These kind of people who take these shots at famous people are usually pretty petty folk who want to feel like they're somebody. It's a pretty clear ha pattern in history. And like I, you know, I use the little piece 
of the eulogy that Chief Justice Earl Warren did for um, President Kennedy. And he says right in there, we may never know why somebody would do this. And I would argue that you and I, the kind of people who wouldn't shoot a president or wouldn't shoot anybody, I hope, um, we, we can never understand these kinds of things. I mean, I can give you reasons why somebody walks into a theater and shoots up the place. I can give you reasons why somebody walks into a church and shoots up the place. But you and I are never going to find those reasons satisfying because they don't make sense to us because we don't think like that. Right, but I mean, if you look at Oswald, he's not hes not alone. He has a wife. He has children. He had just had a baby a month before this. Okay, he had just had a baby the month before this. He had a mother in his life. He had his brothers in his life. He had friends. Um, he just doesn't fit the typical alone nut. I, I the opposite. He, I mean, his brother was convinced that he had done it. His brother found it perfectly reasonable to believe that that Lee would do this, and he was not some stellar father with his wife. His wife was living with somebody else, and this had happened repeatedly where she would leave him because he beat her. He was not a good husband, not a good provider, not a good family man, and their relationship was, you know, virtually non-existent. And he would come out there and visit her on the weekends, sometimes, and now all of a sudden he shows up one night, unannounced, and begs her to come back. And when she says no, he leaves his wedding ring and all, almost all the money he has in the world, and he goes and grabs his rifle and gets right back into work. I mean, that to me sounds like a very nutty guy who's, I'm either going to have my family back or I'm going to go down in the history books today. And that's the way those kinds of people think. Like I said, that's the way the guy who shot the Kingsley shot thought. It's the way the guy who shot John Lennon thought. It's the way the guy who shot McKinley thought. I mean, this is a very common pattern. I mean, everybody who worked with Oswald, which he couldn't hold down a job for very very long because he wasn't a good employee at most places. But people said that he didn't really talk to them. He didn't make conversation with them. He's the classic picture of the, well, he was so quiet and to himself kind of guy. I didn't know he would do that. That's exactly what you hear. Well, we hear that a lot from the school book employees, um, the school book depository employees. But if you look at a time in his life, like Russia, when he was in Russia, he had plenty of friends uh, and did lots of social things um, over there. He had friends in the military. Um, he had friends he tried, growing he tried up. To kill himself. What's he that? Tried to kill himself in Russia. When the Russians said they wouldn't let him stay, he tried to slit his wrists. Yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced that that was a a wholehearted attempt. Um, wholehearted or not, it's not what most people would do. Well, and then he was given a very nice apartment and a very cushy job. The, something the local Russians couldn't have. And from what I've heard of interviews with those people, they were not happy about him. But they didn't want to do anything to piss him off either because he's getting all these favors from the KGB just because he's an American. You know, they're, they're not going to want to oppose
loves him. So, yeah, they might have been friendly to him, but they weren't happy with him. They weren't his buddies. And he certainly wasn't happy there. He left. True. And he wasn't happy coming back to America. He tried to leave and go to Cuba. You know, but you hear from people like... Everything about him is compared to your average person. And if you look at his upbringing with his mother, which is, you know, why his, his <laughs> brother believed that he was perfectly capable of this, he was dragged all over the place by his by his mother, who's in and out of foster homes. She was a conspiracy theorist kind of person who was always ranting about some crazy thing or another, which she then continued on after his death, claiming that the State Department had her son killed and that he was involved in this big plan to help the government and all these things that she had absolutely no basis for. And that's that was the primary influence in his life. Yeah, I mean, I just, <clears throat> when you look at the defection as a whole, <clears throat> from beginning to end, it just seems awfully planned out. Um, you know, it's, it just seems odd for me um, that this guy who, who'd spent most of his teenage years preparing for and, and just wanting to get in the military as soon as possible, um, following his brother's footsteps before him, you know, and he does it. He gets in the Marines. Okay. Maybe, maybe he's disillusioned there. Uh, you know, he, he gets out on a, on a technicality basically, and he's home for three days and then he's on a freighter to London and then on to Helsinki and, and into Russia. I, I don't know. I guess it's just hard for me to, to wrap my head around how, somebody like that would know exactly what to do to get into Russia, how to stay in Russia. Um, and it's not like there weren't false defector programs going on at the time that the CIA was doing because there were. So how do we know Oswald wasn't some kind of a, I mean, that, that's what I was alluding to earlier. You know, you said, you know, it'd be hard for these people to keep a secret. And, you know, what if he was tapped in the Marines, you know, by ONI or CIA? I mean, he was at, at, at Sugi, which is a huge CIA base over there. Um, you know, what if he was tapped? Because he maybe showed propensity for, for Russian um, to, to do this false defector. You know, they might have told him, look, just get in there, see, you know, stay as long as you can, gather information. And, you know, he just kind of took it to the next level with a suicide attempt and, uh, you know, marrying a Russian woman and, uh, you know, he comes back. Well, when you, when you come back as a, from, as a, you know, this traitorous defector, they're going to be paying attention to you, especially if you're bringing back a Russian wife. So you're going to have the FBI kind of watching you. He was under a CIA program called HT lingual to open his mail coming and going, uh, when he came back. Uh, so they, they kept tabs on this guy. They knew what he was doing. Uh, they knew where he was living most of the time. Um, and I see it more as a cover your ass kind of thing when it comes to the CIA, the FBI, Dallas. You know, they don't want to be seen as dropping the ball on, on this guy or they don't want to be tied to this guy in any way, any, any conceivable way whatsoever. So it would behoove them to, you know, alter evidence, you know, 
alter the investigation to make it look like, you know, there is no ties here. You know, Oswald wasn't an informant for the FBI. He wasn't a CIA agent. You know, the Dallas police didn't know anything about this guy. Um, it just seems awful odd to me. I mean, because there weren't many people like Oswald um, back then. You know, people that had defected to Russia and come back with a Russian wife. And, and they wouldn't have, you know, who knows? They might have turned him over there, you know, or, or Marina was a spy. Who knows? But it's just odd to me that they never, you know, in, in your view, never kind of, you know, kept tabs on him and, and what he was doing when he came back. Well, they, they did they did interview him and they did keep tabs on him, but he wasn't considered a high priority because they didn't think he was a very valuable person once they talked to him. Once again, he just didn't strike them as an impressive figure. You know, he was just this loner loser. And so they misjudged what he was capable of, but they I think they judged perfectly correctly that he was not the kind of guy who was some kind of Soviet agent or an anything agent. He was just a nobody who wanted to be a somebody. Right. And I think, I don't know, it's, it's just hard for me to discount, you know, I guess, I mean, you mentioned it kind of in your, in your booklet, America's not a fascist state where secret forces can murder at will and get away with it. Um, but they did back then, you know, they, 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 they murdered Patrice Lumumba. They murdered DM. Uh, they tried to murder Castro, uh, even after, you know, they didn't. They 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 were told to stay away from that. They, they kept on running plots against Castro. Um, at least rogue factions in the CIA were doing that. Um, and when you when you say like, oh, maybe CIA, you know, it's not necessarily CIA as a whole. Okay, CIA has lots of lots of lots of rooms in the mansion, and a lot of those rooms don't know what's going on in the other room and things of this nature. And that's just that's just what you get with clandestine and covert action. Um, so is it out of the realm of possibility, you know, that something, you know, we, we know what they were doing overseas in different countries. Is it out of the realm of possibility whatsoever as a form of self-preservation? Because Kennedy wanted to abolish the CIA. He wanted to get rid of it totally. He'd fired Dulles. He was trying to move it toward more toward a military intelligence like the DIA, um, is it, is it out of the realm of possibility um, that they could, uh, not necessarily as a whole, but maybe a rogue faction that wanted self-preservation inside the CIA could have orchestrated this? Is that believable in any way, shape, or form? It, it is not believable in any way, shape, or form to me that you would have people like former President Eisenhower who would fall for that. If you had this kind of defection that happens within the ranks you're going to have you're going to have major consequences you know people often point to um, ancient Rome and, you know like in Oliver Stone's film he says kings are killed you know don't you know you're Shakespeare Julius Caesar but look at what happened when that kind of society develops and it's happened on down through the years since then you murder a major leader of a state it's not just over there. One, you can't cover it up. And two, you're going to start a war. It might be a small-scale war, 
everybody says that Bobby was so distraught. He immediately called people and said, look into the mob and tell me if they're talking about this. Tell me if anybody did this. Of course, he had his suspicions. He also called over to the White House and he said, grab all of my, go- all my brother's papers and take them over to my offices. Johnson's not getting a hand, getting a hand on any of that. Right. He had absolutely zero authority to do this. He had no control over the Secret Service, but everybody listened to him because he's the Attorney General and the brother of the dead president. If he had even the hint of a suspicion that there was something else going on besides just not wanting Johnson to see his brother's papers, that would have been a civil war within the government. It's the same thing that happens in any society where you have a faction decide that they're going to murder a leader. It never ends there. Somebody is, somebody else is going to pay a price, and something more is going to happen. To believe that, that people like Robert Kennedy and Dwight Eisenhower and Earl Warren and all these men just went along with it? Hell no. It's just not at all what would happen. Well, I think too, um, and and I I understand why it was done, um, and I'm referring to the LBJ Earl Warren conversation. Um, you know when he when he told him, you know, there's 300 million lives in your hands because because you know it could have been tied back so easily to. Oswald's ties to Russia, Oswald ties to trying, you know, to Cuba via Mexico, um, plus his pro Castro in quotes, um, stance on things that maybe this guy could be tied back to these countries and, you know, people would want a war. They won't want retaliation for, for killing our president like that. And I think he gave Warren the recommendation, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, we paint this guy Lee Oswald as as a loner with no ties to Russia or or Cuba. But all that all that, all that Johnson did was convince Warren to serve as the head of this commission. That's that's as much as he was able to convince. Um, Warren never believed that the Soviets were behind it, and writes very clearly about that in his memoirs. He never believes that there's any evidence of conspiracy and writes very clearly about that in his memoirs. The one time that he allowed himself to sit in a room and be publicly questioned was actually on a visit to South America where they didn't have anything to do. And the journalist said, can we ask you some questions about the Warren Commission? And he was just amazed at the complete disinformation that they had all the way down in South America. And just point after point after point, he's like, no, that's just not true. This is just, this just isn't true. And he, he said it was just the same old nonsense, just repeated over and over again. Now, if you look at what Warren actually did, you look at his life. I mean, he's prosecutor for a DA for more than 10 years. He prosecutes a conspiracy of local KKK members and um, politicians who are grafting the public. He comes in and cleans that up. He's a very popular elected attorney general of California. He's the only man to be elected three times in California in a row as governor because he is considered a man of ultimate integrity almost universally beloved. One of the times he ran for governor, he didn't even have an opponent. Nobody would run against him. Hmm. And when he, once he gets on the Supreme Court,
cows to anybody. Right. He does what he thinks is right, and the rest be damned. And to think that he was somehow convinced by Johnson's paranoia about the Soviets, he wasn't. All he was convinced was to take control of the commission, and that's exactly what he did. Johnson didn't have any power to tell him to do anything. You know, in fact, immediately he turns around and says, I want subpoena power and I want these powers that Johnson didn't know he was going to ask for. Johnson thought this report was going to be done in a month. He spends nine months working on it. He totally got out of control of Johnson right away. And if Johnson somehow had something to do with the plot, well, we'd be talking about President Earl Warren because <laughs> there's no way he's going to go along with that and have the legacy of his life be how I covered up the Kennedy assassination. Hell no. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't buy that theory of, of LBJ as the mastermind and, and, you know, all that Roger Stone business and, uh, you know, <laughs> all the people that want to believe yeah. that. And I, I I totally am not with that chain, or train of thought whatsoever. Um you know, I was thinking <clears throat> when it comes to the initial uh, public, I guess, perspective of Oswald, what they heard first is, is this communist Lee Oswald, this communist Lee Oswald. And that very quickly turned, you know, to a loser, a loner, this violent guy, this nut job. And because I think, you know, if the public realized that okay this guy is is a communist that just killed our president they would have demanded you know that the government do something um you know and this guy lived in russia and you know he was a castro supporter um i think you know he got labeled a communist very quickly in the media you know he's a believer in, uh, even though he wasn't a communist you know a marxist you know but he was labeled a communist um, because of you know, well, he labeled himself as a Marxist-Leninist when he was on right. the media, what the radio in uh, New Orleans. Yeah, but I don't think the media as a whole really knew the difference between communism and Marxism. It was a lot easier to call him a commie, he, you know, a communist, a uh, Russia lover. Um, well, yeah, you're you're still in the red scare here, and yeah. so when somebody is you know associated at all with communists, of course that's going to be the big headline. Right. Well, don't don't you think they would want to get away from that as much as possible and, and try to paint this guy as a, as a a solo, uh, you know, assassin? You can come up with all kinds of hypothetical things about what they might want to do, but like I said, it's you're simply not going to get Earl Warren and so many people from the, both major parties. All three branches of the federal government, state and local officials, plus private individuals, more than 400 people had a hand in the Warren Commission, and not a single person ever said um, what I put into the into the commission was, you know, removed. What I put into the commission was was completely turned around and lied about. I was told to not put something in. I was told to put this in. You know, you can't get 400-plus people to go along with anything. In Watergate, you couldn't even get uh, half a dozen people to keep a story straight for two weeks. It's just not the way things work. And now to be 50 years later and still believe that people are covering it up who weren't even alive when it was done, it's just not the way things work. 
Well, I mean, when you're talking about people like Angleton, Phillips, you know, all these guys, you know, they're going to destroy whatever evidence they had or could have possibly have had, um, you know, before they they left the CIA or if if, it, if that information exists, it's going to be locked away in some vault never to be seen or burned or, or something to that effect. But just just to switch gears a little bit and, and turn it back to your film, I think you had a really good um, graphic from the Zapruder film uh, that kind of dispelled a shot from the grassy knoll. And, and you talked about the jet effect, which is a very controversial kind of thing. Um, at least when it, when it comes to conspiracy theorists and, uh, you know, whether it can be proved one way or the other and, and the whole body stiffening, uh, thing. Just, just talk a little bit about that. The the jet effect and then the goat test that was done. Two different reasons why the president would jerk backwards. Right. Yeah, just to dispel a little bit about the whole back and to the left, back and to the left, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, and I also try to show in my film examples of the kind of things you see in movies where somebody gets shot and they just go flying through the air, which it's not the way that bullets work in the real world. Right, right. And you can see, I mean, you slowed it down and you put the line back there. You could see where Kennedy's head did go forward for an instant. And then, you know, then his, his body stiffens up, which causes, of course, his head to come back. Um, right. And I, I think, you know, you got that right because, you know, if, if you have a an impact on the brain, a neurological thing, it's going to do certain things to your your neurological system, your, your you know, your muscles. It, it And that goat, you know, I mean, you saw that thing stiffened up like a board. Uh, relatively quick, quickly, and uh, just a question about that, the, the, the headshot. Now, you have 19 people at Parkland Hospital saying that they see a gigantic gaping hole in the back of Kennedy's head, including Clint Hill. Okay, in his memoir, he's, staying, he's staring at the back of Kennedy's head in this giant hole. Um, that's generally caused by an exit wound. Uh, not an entrance wound. And the supposed exit wound we see on the Zapruder film that we have today, you know, with this big orange blob that comes out of the front of his head, the side of his head there, um, it's just not present in the autopsy photos. I mean, there is a flap, you know, but that kind of gruesome thing we see in the Zapruder film, it, you know, it, it, I, I just don't see it on the, uh, on the autopsy photos yet in the official autopsy with Humes and Boswell and all these guys, there is no gaping wound in the back of the head. So how do we, how do we not say that they're covering something up here? Um, I think that this is, how can I put it? There's a number of things going on with most of these suppositions. One is that at Parkland, this was not a, you know, this was not an autopsy. This was not a medical examination of the forensic evidence. This was people in a situation that most doctors are never going to be in, having to work on the body of the president and knowing that this man is gone, that there is no hope. But you are the doctor there, and you 
Right. And so they never even, you know, turned him over and found the entrance wound of when the bullet came in in his back because they weren't concerned about where exactly he'd been hit. They were just trying to stop the obvious bleeding they could see right in front of them and right. just trying to get his heart going. And so to say that they somehow, you know, that, that what they saw in that moment is, you know, medical expertise, it's, it's a stretch. Now, if you go back and look, I, you know, I, I wish that there were better photographic evidence and there was better things done. You know, you can find all kinds of problems with the, with not just this autopsy, but the way things were done in 1963. I mean, you look at the television coverage, you look at everything, you can just see yeah. it is such a primitive world as compared to what we expect to be done today. And so, yeah, I wish there was better autopsy photos and we could see things in more detail. But every time that you have a real medical expert, be it the House Select Committee experts or you, be it, you know, the people that did the Nova Coast cold case file show recently at the, the 50th year, every time they're allowed to go in there and look at the evidence, what they found is exactly consistent with what the Warren Commission finds. And that is when the bullet hit, entered in the back of the skull, there are little skull fractures that just went out over the whole skull, just like a spider's web. And so the only thing holding his skull together was the skin. And so, yeah, it might seem like a big gaping hole there, and it might be difficult to know where exactly that hole is. If you talk, um, when they first talked to uh, Bill Newman, the closest eyewitness with his wife, Gail Newman, to the headshot, Bill, one, he said that only two bullets were fired when he was initially viewed on, interviewed on television. And he said for years afterwards, he testified in the Garrison case after years afterwards that the president's ear had come off. Now, he was absolutely certain that that's what he thought he saw, but it's just not what happened. Yeah, I mean, initially he said, too, that the president stood up <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> and, and was shot. Right. I mean, and there's going to be all kinds of inconsistencies, especially in a, in a such a stressful situation. It's that way with any situation. You ask any cop, you know, who's had to interview one or two people about a crime, they're not going to get the exact same story. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about your experience at the 50th as well. Um, did you get it? Did you did you run into any? I, I, I saw I saw uh, Groden kind of creeping by, uh, but did did you? Yeah, get a, I wish I would have noticed him. <laughs> I only saw him on the footage afterwards. Yeah, but no 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 like no like serious researchers were did, like run into you didn't see John Judge or anybody like that down there. Um. Well, John Judge makes a, a little appearance further away. One of my the two camera people I had caught some footage of him right he wasn't anywhere near me gotcha and then you know there are other people who consider themselves serious researchers i don't know all their names um but they you know, presented themselves to me as serious researchers but uh yeah i think the one guy wrote a book didn't he yeah the one guy was there promoted his book it was 50 years 50 lies yeah i never even heard of it <laughs> No, that guy is actually uh, some kind of a minister. I've seen him online. His website. He's like a. He's got like a doctorate in theology, I believe. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, I ran, I ran into a, a book earlier this year, supposedly written by a minister, uh, that told a, a very, very strange story uh, pertaining to the assassination and people that were involved in it that was told to him uh, on, just by happenstance, and he felt the need to relay. I can't remember. The name of it is escaping me at the moment, but it was just every part of it was ridiculous um, on its face. <laughs> And and the guy was a little sketchy. I mean, you know, sometimes some of these ministers can be a little sketchy, you know, um, with their uh, with their mode. Hard to tell. I think his, his name was John Golden. I can't remember the name of the book though, uh, off the top of my head. But I was wondering um, now in your footage, you know, you ran into a lot of conspiracy theorists down there that really thought that they knew some stuff. Um, yes. Now, I, I see how you very quickly chopped them down. Um, like, especially the, the guy with the red sweatshirt with red hair and the goatee. Um, yeah. You know, he, he was really trying. I think he came back a few times there, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I, I, I come back to him just in the way that I cut it because I didn't want you to have to just stand there and listen to me to talk to one person for too long. So I kept coming back to him. Well, I saw him kind of lurking in the background for a few. Um, yes, he was listening. To, he was listening to me talk to two other people, and then he joined in. Right now, did you have anybody down there like getting get super nasty with you, or? Well, the most nasty that that it got, and I think you know there were a lot of cops down in the plaza that day, and so that kind of kept people from being too nasty to anyone. Yeah. But there's one guy in there who I appears throughout and he's the last person that I kind of talk to before I go to the closing part of the film. And he's the one who asked me how I know that nine 11 really happened. Right. And he said, because I saw, because you saw it on television, he's trying to convince me that somehow, you know, the television had created this reality for me that maybe nine 11 didn't even really happen. Um, so he was pretty out there in, in his thinking, but he, at one point, got very irate, and I wish I had got that on camera, but unfortunately, the cameras we're using, using these little SD cards, at some points, you have to, you know, start over again. Right. It only records a file so big. And so, we missed the part where he was, he was telling me, um, his exact words were, don't use my shit, very loudly and repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I, I finally said, if you don't, if you didn't want to, you know, be recorded in, in front of a camera and a microphone, then why are you talking to me here in a public place? And that's the piece that I use in the film is you, I start right from why are you talking to me in a public place? Right. Well, because that's the, that's the moment at which I had it. I unfortunately didn't get the irate part. Yeah, so I saw him say, don't use this. <laughs> yeah, that's when he calmed down a little bit. He yeah. Said, don't use this. But, yeah, I figured he was down there shooting his own stuff. I have footage of him near the plaza shooting his own little stand-up for whatever video he was making. Right. And, you know, you can't go around speaking publicly in front of a camera, let alone be making your own kind of thing and putting yourself out there as a public figure and then say that you have some kind of immunity from you know, being recorded. 
Yeah, and I, I saw I saw also in there you got some Alex Jones uh, footage, who I, I can't stand the guy. I mean, he's just a loud, boisterous fanatic. Uh, you know, you can see he likes to get people worked up and and, and all that, and get them all excited. And uh, that's yeah, and I find it very troubling that he's still a supporter of the John Birch Society or what's left of the John Birch Society. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he is from Texas, you know, and he's he likes his <laughs> guns, and um, you know, but but guys like that 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 do that, I mean, they they give cons- conspiracy researchers a bad name because I think. There's a, there's well, I think a, a distinct... Texans a bad name, too, because, I mean, I, I went to graduate school in Texas, and I knew nothing but wonderful, nice people. Yeah, yeah, because I think there's a distinct difference between a conspiracy researcher and a conspiracy theorist. Um, you know, people, people are quick to label, of course, you know, us as lone nutters and conspiracy theorists. Um, but, I, you know... And, and for this show, even though I'm conspiracy-minded, I don't mind having... You know, people that are uh, the lone nut persuasion on to, to, to have a conversation about things, you know, and I think there's a way to do it civilly because we could easily got on here and me and you could meet, can, you know, argue and yell at each other and really accomplish nothing but put on a good show for everybody. But, you know, I find it much more interesting to, to actually talk to you and have a conversation and, you know, see where you're coming from and see where I'm coming from and, you know, see where it all pans out. You know, people can believe whatever they want to believe. Um, but like you said, I think, or like I said, I think there's a difference between conspiracy researchers, which is what I consider myself. It's just, you know, I don't have a set theory about what happened or, or this, that, and the other. I just have a lot of unanswered questions and I don't have a lot of faith in our government. And just from the track record, since I've been alive and, and seeing what's going on, you know, you got Iran Contra, you know, Watergate, you know, all, you know, MLK, RFK, JFK, you know, Malcolm X, all, you know, the notorious FBI, you know, you got 9-11 and so on and so forth. And now with all these shootings everywhere and, uh, you know, it's just, it's hard for me to put my faith in the government. And I'm exactly the person you're probably talking about, you know, when, uh, when you speak about, you know, conspiracists, seeing the conspiracy and everything, because, I think just from looking at the JFK assassination for so long and, and there's just, there really is James so much to it. I mean, it, it's hard to debunk it from every angle. You know what I'm saying? There's just so much. But see, that's where I disagree that you can continue to look for things. You can continue to question, you know, why does this witness testimony not match up with that witness testimony? Why does this piece of forensic evidence not match up with that piece of forensic evidence? But as I said in a recent blog post, case through the evidence. It's just like not seeing the forest through the trees. You know, they're so focused on this thing in front of them, this doesn't add up. And then when you, when you convince them, okay, that this is why this piece is, then they just move to the next piece. Yeah, but this doesn't add up. And they just keep focusing on that one point rather than looking at the larger case. And when you look at the larger case, what you find is that there's simply no way to pull off what you fear happened. And I'm not telling you that you should love and trust everything the government tells you, but I am telling you that the government doesn't exist as a single monolith. 
party is just one obvious split that really is a split as much as people try to make them out to be oh just slaves of the you know ruling class yeah but even within parties you have factions and then within those factions you have factions anytime you've got a group of people together you're going to have breakdowns and to different groups of different alliances and you just simply cannot hold together all of those people and get them all to go along with such an elaborate story as would be necessary for something like the Kennedy assassination so it's not that i have some great faith in government but i just know the kind of competitive environment in which we live in which you're going to you're going to look for things to get the upper hand on other people and you are not going to get hundreds or thousands of people to go along on the same page just because somebody at the top mandates it right now i understand that and i guess maybe my thinking is different from a typical conspiracy theorist who would say oh yeah the cia is behind it all and the fbi covered it up you know and all that i'm more simple-minded than that i think you need three aspects to pull this off you need <clears throat> you need the mechanics on the ground you need the, the assassins the shooters maybe one or two good ones okay you need the uh, planners or facilitators that that would say okay this is this is what needs to happen and they need to procure the mechanics okay so there's plausible deniability at every level that the you know that the ones above or below them doesn't know the other one what the other one is doing and of course then you need a sponsor somebody that could pay to have this done has the motivation to want to have this done um for example let's take these extreme right wingers john birchers people like uh you know general walker at the time okay who who had no love whatsoever for the kennedys okay they'd thrown him in the mental institution and and uh and whether it's true or not uh general walker believed that oswald had shot at him and that he had been caught and picked up by the dallas police and that attorney general robert kennedy called and had oswald turn loose yeah that's what that's what was said in the in the bircher's official publication right month after the assassination right now whether that's true or not doesn't matter what matters is if general walker thought it was true okay so think for a second okay guy like general walker a guy with military experience a guy with ties to extreme white right-wing organizations um you know could possibly round up enough money you know to to facilitate this happening and could have some kind of a network to where he could, you know, get these mechanics, uh, assassins. It, it, like, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't need to be some great, grand, huge conspiracy. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be the entire CIA or the, the, the you know, the FBI or, you know, something like that. A much smaller, controllable conspiracy, um, I think is possible. And I'm not saying General Walker was behind it and, and this, that, and the other, but I'm just saying that it, using that as an example, it's one, it's one thing that we can look at and point to to say, okay, this guy had a motive. Um, 
you know, and, and he had, you know, very high powered friends with, with, uh, you know, a lot of money and, uh, access to these, uh, these Cuban Raiders. We know, we know guys like Lauren Hall, Jerry Hemming would visit General Walker in Dallas. You know, uh, we know these guys were in Dallas a couple weeks before the assassination, um, things like that. And it makes it hard to look past, you know, and I guess, you know, when, when you're talking about researching into the Kennedy assassination or anything else for that matter, you, you, of course, are, you know, everybody's at their own level, you know, everybody's at different stages of their research. And, you know, somebody like me has been looking at it for 25 years. You know, there's other people that have been looking at it for 40 years and have a different opinion. Some people have been looking at it for 10 years, five years, two years that have totally different opinion than me. Um, and I think it's just, forming an opinion as you go, like, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not married to any one theory. If, if something comes along that disproves what I previously had thought, then I'm capable of changing my way of thought into taking that into consideration, uh, and, and developing a different theory. And, and, you know, I'm at a weird place where, you know, cause I used to think, oh yeah, the CIA was behind it. No, you know, no problem. You know, I got it figured out. You know, and then you learn things and, uh, well, no, yeah, the mafia, they may, yeah, they would have been behind it. And then, then you learn some things and you gotta, you gotta reconsider things. And, and I think that's what you're alluding to, too. You know, you're kind of seeing and eliminating these suspects, um, by reason, you know? Um, yes. But the thing that somebody said to me recently on Facebook that, well, uh, they often find arguing with conspiracy theorists is like playing the game Whack-A-Mole. Huh. You know, the arcade game where the moles keep popping up and you keep trying to knock them down. And at some point, you got to realize that that's all there is to the game. Right. You're not going to get any further than that. With right. a lot of people, that's true. Um, and, you know, at some points, you know, I'll, I'll talk with people and I'll argue with some people, but at some point I just have to say, okay, this is just a game of Whack-A-Mole. There's no, no, it doesn't matter what I say, you're you're not going to hear it. You're just going to look at that thing right in front of you, and no matter how much I disprove it, you're just going to move to the next mole and to the next one. Yep. And I think that you need to look at the bigger picture, that conspiracy theorist thinking in history has simply been wrong, that it does require things that just are not possible, a level of control that's not possible, Once you see a pattern of lies of people, you know, deliberately using false diagrams for decades, of deliberately repeating these same lies about, you know, the Mick Wallace fingerprint or, you know, whatever they're they're putting out there, um, and just repeating them no matter how many times it's disproved, then all you have to do is look at that pattern and say, well, this this is a lie. You know, I know that there's a lot of people who could play this game better than me that have, you know, more facts and details and nuances and stuff um, who have spent just so much time absorbed in it. But I think of, there's this guy, uh, David Irving. Have you ever heard of him, historian? Uh, no. So David Irving, he wrote some books about the Second World War in Nazi Germany in the 70s. And he really came to prominence in, like, the uh, early 80s when supposedly Hitler's private diaries surfaced. And 
established, knowledgeable historians, you know, disagreed with him and were fooled by them. But ultimately, all the historians came around and realized he had been right. They were phony. Somebody had just handwritten these um, diaries, and when you looked at certain dates and things, they just didn't add up because they didn't know enough, enough details to fake all of that. Right. Now, years after that, Irving became a very uh, pariah figure in the historical community because he became a Holocaust denier. And he deliberately faked things and manipulated things to make it seem like if there was any kind of mass killing of the Jews, it wasn't done on Hitler's orders. It was done behind his back. Right. And he had this whole, you know, false version of history that he's since, you know, backed off and recanted from. But he actually spent time in jail in Austria where it's illegal to question the Holocaust in Europe. Yeah. And um, he still goes and speaks to a lot of right-wing groups today, you know, extreme Nazi-like right-wing groups. And if I got into a discussion with a man like that, I guarantee he could school me on so many things about the, the Nazi government and about the facts and details of World War II. Even though I, I've studied these a good amount, I've made a film in graduate school about Nazis and how they manipulated things with, the with their propaganda. Mm -hmm. And But I, I would be an amateur next to him in terms of the volume of knowledge that he has. But that doesn't in any way make me doubt that the Holocaust happened. It doesn't in any way make me think maybe he's right. Because there's such a clear pattern of lies and it's such a ridiculously huge story that at some point I just have to cut it off and I say, look, I don't care how knowledgeable he is. It's just, there's no use in playing this game of whack-a-mole. He's just wrong. Yeah, and I think that's, and I think that's what a lot of, a lot of conspiracy people are going to have a problem with is, is your broad brush approach to, you know, all conspiracy theorists lie. You know what I mean? Instead of, instead of, taking each mole and whacking it, <laughs> you know, you, you're taking like five hammers at one time and getting them all at once. You know what I mean? Well, I, right. But I believe that the comparison to racism is valid. You know, racism used to be the way people thought. They really believed that there was some kind of biological reason that, you know, not just white people, but, you know, if you look at the Nazi view of the world, they thought that, you know, Germanic people were better than, like, the Slavs or the Russians. You know, people that everybody in America would say, well, they're all white. Not, no, not in the Nazi view. In the Nazi view, there are good Germans, and then there are these horrible subhuman people who just happen to have white skin. Right. But it doesn't matter where you draw these supposed racial lines. If you draw it based on color or you draw it based on geographic location, the whole idea that races exist is just false. You know, the Human Genome product Project has clearly demonstrated that, that there's no such thing as a definable scientific race within the human race. We're all just humans. Right. And so it doesn't matter how well-educated somebody is or how much they have how much they sincerely are trying to be nice about it. If they're trying to tell you 
that one or different because of this and that. It's just not true. The, the, the very assumption is a lie. And I think the same is true for conspiracy theorists. No matter how nice and genuine you are about trying to find the truth, you're looking in the wrong place when you start looking in conspiracy theories because they all have that same kind of impossible, very vast thing that would be necessary. And even your example of like General Walker or whoever, you know, there are just too many variables. You know, Oswald might not have shown up to work that day. You know, you, you've, got to, you've got to account for so many things to happen and nobody has that kind of power. And to think that you could fool 400 plus people on the Warren Commission and fool hundreds of people involved with the House Select Committee and fool hundreds of other people doing little investigations throughout the government and all these different groups that had rivalries with one another and were all looking for an excuse to get the upper hand with somebody else if they could find any evidence that would implicate anybody there's just too much going on for anybody to try to control all that and say, okay, we're all going to get on the same page and tell the same lie together and we're going to take it to our deathbeds. It just right. doesn't happen. Right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've run into some people who, who were conspiracy theorists, uh, who are now lone nutters and, you know, people I've known for years, um, people I've had on the show, you know, my friends, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, you do run into, you, you do run into this thing, but like I said, it's a very, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a personal journey. I guess, I guess when you get there, you get there, you know, like if, if you looked into the case and, you know, you've looked at it from every angle and you've exhausted everything and you come to the conclusion that, you know, Oswald was on the sixth floor shooting. There's just no way around it. You know, I think it, I think it's a point that you have to get to in your research but I also think it's it's more personal than that. I mean, maybe there's something wrong with people like me um, inherently in the way we grew up that, you know, we we kind of feel the need to like I don't know solve a mystery, uh, right or wrong, where we see the where we see the bad where there should be good. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but you know, I, I think it's more of a personal thing, like. You know, like like an alcoholic. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna change an alcoholic's mind and tell them to quit drinking that they need help. They're not gonna get help until they need to get help. You know, and it's it's like the way I see it is, you know, because a lot a lot of lone nutters don't you know haven't always thought from the very beginning that there's nothing to this case and Oswald did it. A very you know I, I would say probably eighty percent of lone nutters start out. Uh, their first exposure to the case is, is conspiracy. And then they gradually yeah. get there, you know? And. Well, because it's not very interesting if you don't start out there. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it captures your attention. It, it, you know, it's, uh, it interests you. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that, that captures your attention and you want to try to figure out. And I, I don't know. Like I said, I think that's part of the, the, the mystery thing, you know? Uh, like a good detective story, you know. Maybe I I grew up watching too many Scooby Doo uh, cartoons. I, I don't know, you know. But there's something in me. I don't, I, I don't know how to change it. That 
still thinks that there's something there and, and, and I want to figure it out and I want to be, you know, part of the guy that figures it out. And then I look over at people like Mark Lane and, you know, Vince Landry and all these other old guys and they're in their eighties and they still haven't figured it out. So, you know, a lot of people are going to the grave, you know, still believing, but they never get there. And, you know, I don't want to be that guy. Um, I want to see a, a conclusion to this. Now, let me ask you a question, James. Yes. Um, if something were to come out in the future, like another witness or say Bill Fraser changes his story and he, and he says, okay, you know, I've been lying the whole time. I'm ready to come clean. Okay. Um, say some kind of evidence turns up or, or the CIA accidentally releases something in 2017 to change the way you, view the assassination to, to cast doubt on, uh, you know, Oswald as the assassin, would you take that into consideration or would you say, yeah, well, that doesn't really matter because, you know, whatever. It's, I don't think it just happens on one level. If something comes out like in 2017, when the last of the documents are supposed to be released, um, if something comes out that says, you know, the CIA had contact with Oswald when he was in the Marines or something, and they, they, they hid that because, as you said earlier, they just didn't want to be associated with him. Right. And, and I think that anybody who's, you know, honest about history can see why something was put in the back of the files and we don't want to deal with that. Let somebody in the future deal with that. Right. But if some document comes out that says, you know, here are the orders given, <laughs> you know, it, even if you, you know, you probably think, well, these, this is faked, made up by somebody, but if you really believe, you know, these are the orders given to, uh, to Oswald to, to do the crime, then I just could never believe that you're going to get all those people to just keep it at the back of the file for this long. When in fact they have, they don't just have a vested interest, um, they have a vested interest in the opposite direction. You know, to be the person who brings that out into the public light is going to make them a national hero. It could make their political career. It's the jumping off point to become senator or governor and on your way to the presidency. You know, it, it, it is such a huge motive to not go along with that. To think that there's some evidence that could come out that so many people have continued to hide, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I've been asked this question before by people, and I've asked them, you know, is there a piece of evidence that could come out that would can, that would make you think maybe our government faked the Holocaust? That our government did? Yeah, I mean that's that's what you know the the people who deny the Holocaust believe that that our government when we won the war made this propaganda effort to over exaggerate what the Germans had done. Now most of these people are anti Semites who want to believe that the Jews run the world and that the Jews are pulling the strings in the American government and that's why they did this to create sympathy for the Jews who didn't really get killed in the Holocaust as the Holocaust deniers see it. But I mean, they can make the same arguments. They can tell you, look, all the footage that you've seen of the Holocaust shot by either government personnel 
confiscated from Germany. They were confiscated by government personnel. All the details that we know that came out in the Nuremberg trials. Well, who do you think was in charge of the Nuremberg trials? That was a military tribunal run by the U.S. military. Right. You know, everything they can say is, well, if you believe the Holocaust, you're believing the official government story. Right. And you know, it's the same kind of thing that they can use these arguments change the, you know, you can use it for the moon landing, you can use it for 9-11, whatever you want. And I just reject that line of thinking. There's nothing that's going to come out that's going to tell me that, that all these people covered up the conspiracy to kill the president. There's nothing that's going to come out that's going to make me think we didn't go to the moon. There's nothing that's going to come out that's going to make me think that George Bush planned 9-11. There's nothing that's going to come out that's going to make me think the Holocaust didn't happen. Because all of these things involve so many people with competing interests that it just isn't possible to fake. Right. I, mean, I can see your point there. Um, I was talking to you earlier off the air about Jim Fetzer and his, yes. he was just, he was just on ground zero with Clyde Lewis denying the Holocaust. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he's, Maybe he needs to move to Austria so they can put him in jail uh, over there. You know, cause he, he he'll, he'll tell you, oh no, the the Cyclone B was just used for delousing them, and you know it wasn't so much a Holocaust as as the uh, the Germans just were ill-equipped to hold that many people in in a, in a prison camp and uh, didn't have the food, this that, and you know we we were bombing their rail lines, their supply lines, and uh, this that and the other. And quite frankly. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a Holocaust denier, you know, I, you know, that's not my bag, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I think obviously way too sensible for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you got to draw the line somewhere and even, even in the JFK community, um, you know, we got a lot of kooks on our side and I'll be the first one to admit that to you. <laughs> There's a lot, um, you know, but I think there's a new breed emerging that, acknowledge that and try to uh kind of get them out of here you know you know what i mean like people like judy baker and you know people like that they just spread lies and, and tell these unsubstantiated stories with no evidence and and you know the reason i take it personally is because you know you have this person just for example judy baker you know her story right Judith Baker, the one that claims to be Lee Oswald's mistress in, in New Orleans. Okay. Well, by that, I trust me, you're you're not missing much. Um, uh, yeah, she, you know, she claims to have known Lee Oswald in uh, the summer of '63, and uh, and and this, that, and the other. You know, he was he was cheating on Marina with her, and and all this, but she has no evidence whatsoever to back any of her story up. And they made this cancer soup, uh, with the help of David Ferry and, and, uh, Mary Sherman that Lee Oswald was supposed to take to Mexico and then, to, and then into Cuba to kill Castro with. And it's a whole bunch of horse shit. Um, but she has a lot of followers, man. Like she, you know, she's wrote a book, you know, it's like this, this love story book, you know, that these horny housewives get into and believe, you know, and it's, uh, and she's having a JFK conference in New Orleans this year, you know, with, uh, 
you know, a lot of these questionable LBJ did it guys and, 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 and the like, and of course her, and it's just all this disinformation gets pushed on, it, it, you know, into the research community from our side. And you'd like, you know, you kind of feel the need to clean it up a little bit. And, you know, even on your side, you got, you know, a lot of, I guess I, I guess I run into them a lot and, and you don't fall into this category, but a lot of these smug, belittling, uh, guys that I've run into like Von Peen and, 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 and Posner and these guys that, that like to just dismiss conspiracy theorists as idiots, <laughs> you know, and I know that's a little bit of the preface of, of what your movie is, but I hope you, you know, you realize that it does go deeper than that. You know, like we're not all idiots, you know, um, we might be, uh, you know, one of the people that I, I talked to years ago was Gary Mack, who recently died, was the curator of the sixth floor museum. And you know, for years, he was a really diehard conspiracy theorist. He appeared in the men who killed Kennedy, um, series that was done by the BBC and stuff. And, even when I talked to him in 2003, he still was a conspiracy guy. That's what he told me straight out. He just didn't, he, he could no longer believe any of the stories he believed in the past. He still thought there was a conspiracy, but he just. So I talked to Gary Mack in 2003, and he was still a believer in a conspiracy. He didn't know what the conspiracy was. He had abandoned the things he used to believe before, but. He couldn't figure out what the conspiracy was, but he still had this feeling that there was a conspiracy when I talked to him in 2003. And I think that you know, he always kind of continued to be a conspiracy guy, even though he was seen as a traitor by a lot of people in the conspiracy community mm-hmm. for running the Sixth Floor Museum and for debunking a lot of the stuff that they wanted to believe. Um, but I describe him in my film as an honest um, conspiracy theorist. You know, he's trying... To, to be honest about it. But if the premise is dishonest, it doesn't matter how honest you are trying to be. And you were talking about, like, you know, this new breed of conspiracy theorists and trying to get rid of the old, you know, kooks and stuff who are giving you a bad name. And I understand that. But I see that a lot like, um, you know, back in the 60s when after a whole generation of communists in America had been raving about what a great man Stalin was. When Stalin finally died and Nikita Khrushchev gave his famous speech denouncing the Stalin years and word got out around the world that he had given this, you got this birth of what was called the New Left. And the New Left was a bunch of young, idealistic people who were like, okay, we're going to get rid of all that Stalin horrible stuff and all that stupid direction that our parents went down. We're going to be the new left. We're going to make this, you know, great new vision of what Marxism could be. But they didn't turn out any better. You know, these are the people who became the Weather Underground and so many other, you know, violent groups. These are the people who tried to tried to make Pol Pot out to be a good guy in Cambodia before he killed you know, two million people out of a population of only seven million, um, they, they fell into the same trap. They, they just 
be honest conspiracy theorists are like the new left. You know, we're going to be new and we're going to be different. But if you've got the same basic assumption about the way the world works and that assumption is wrong, then you're not going to get to the right answer. Right. And, uh, you know, with that being said, I think, honestly, I think you, and and I told you this before, that, that your, your documentary, your film is very well done. It's very well thought out. It's very well put together. And I would encourage everyone on both sides to watch it because you're either going to go away loving it or hating it or, or, or just, or just feeling a certain way about it. Um, either way, you know, like, you know, I learned something, you know, and I do agree with some things in the movie, you know, and, uh, hopefully it will clear up a lot of these misconceptions and lies, uh, you know, that have been told throughout the years. Um, most definitely. And, and people can check it out at no magic right? Yes. That'll get them to the link to watch the uh, video. Yep. You can watch trailers and they can watch a little preview and then if they want, they can pay to either stream it or download it. Cool. Cool. Now, it, is there anything, any other sites you wanted to give a plug to or anything we didn't get to that you wanted to mention? Well, well I'll say my main site is jameskaylambert.com. And I have some writings on there that I've done, and I have a new blog that I'm starting. Um, the writings, some of them deal with conspiracy. Some of them just deal with film. And I hope, hope to add more over time. Um, just whatever interests me. But the No Magic Bullets will be the main site for history projects. I hope to do other um, historically related films in the future. They may or may not involve conspiracy theorists, but they'll definitely be historically based. Well, cool. I mean, I'll be looking forward to it. And, you know, I, I do have a lot of people that listen to the show, um, for, you know, from the Lone Nut side. So, you know, I definitely wanted to have you on and talk to you because whether we agree or not on, on certain things, you're a doer <laughs> and, and I got much respect for you, um, you know, doing your thing out there and it takes big balls to, to do what you did in Dealey Plaza and, and to make the film about it. And, uh, just props to you, James, for doing it. You know, I, nothing but respect here. Um, you know, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of guys will sit around and, and, you know, it's easy to talk. But to get out and do things, like be an activist, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I commend you for doing that and uh, getting your message out there. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on. I appreciate this whole interview discussion. I think it's been great. Me too. Me too. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I appreciate you coming on and getting in touch with me. Uh, you know, I, I've been seeing you on Twitter a little bit pop up here and here and there. And I'm like, what the hell is this? No magic bullets. You know, what is this? You know, so I, I'm glad you reached out to me. Um, cause you, you know, you changed my mind from my initial perspective of, 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 I guess your approach. Um, so people don't be scared to go watch the movie. I highly, I highly encourage everyone to at least give it a chance and, uh, and check it out. And, uh, you know, cause James has worked hard on it. Uh, you can tell it by looking at it and, uh, Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Oh, one final plug. Yeah. The, uh, the music in the film was done by a friend of mine named Steve Yeager. If anybody's looking for a composer, he's a 
Maybe you can do an intro for me. <laughs> Hey, thank you, James. You hang on the line for me real quick, okay? I'm going to talk us out. Sure. All right, everybody. For everything we just talked about on here, if you can't get there on your own, I will put up links on tlgpodcast.com to get to James' site uh, and his other site, uh, nomadicbullets.org, and uh, where you can get a link to watch the movie. Um, So check that out. I'll put up some some graphics uh, there, you know, a little bit of what we talked about here on the show to check out. And when you get to the website, feel free to donate. Uh, every, every penny goes right back into the show. And there's links there to a lot of my friends that I think are doing good work on the case. So please check them out and support them. Uh, the some bitches in the can beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy Rob Clark on the Lone Gummer Podcast. Peace.
it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.